You're listening to the weekly podcast of Cayo, the youth ministry of the Father's House in Owensboro, Kentucky. Cayo is a healthy home for teens who are loved like family as sons and daughters that embrace their kingdom identity and purpose to change the world. At Cayo, your home. I don't think since last October where we went to Disney World and all that stuff, so I really wish I could have gone to Disney World again. Any Disney World people last week, anybody in here that went to Disney World? Anybody, show of hands? Everybody say, I hate you. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Hey, you guys went to Disney World? Awesome. Anybody go to Islands of Adventure, Universal Studios? No? That's my place. Spider-Man, let's go. Spider-Man, the Velosa Coaster. Anybody ridden the Velosa Coaster? You go 90 miles per hour, that thing is dope. Uh, anyway, it's pretty awesome. Well, we got time for squads here in a little bit, so I'm going to try to move as smoothly as I can through tonight. Real good to be back. I'm going to let you guys finish over there. You done? It's okay, I'm not mad. Do I look mad? I might look mad because of the lights, but I'm really not mad. Hey, all right, so I'm not mad. Sometimes the lights make you do this and you look angry. So I'm not angry, I promise. Let's pray. Father, pray the room's receptive to this word. Lord, just speak through me. Lord, help me keep it simple. Lord, you know I've edited this thing a number of times. Keep it simple. Bless it, anoint it. Pray that everyone has eyes and ears and an open heart to receive it. Pray that faith grows and comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Holy Spirit, you bring an understanding to everything that we hear. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, do whatever you want. Have your way. Everybody said? Amen. Well, tonight we start a brand new series. We're going to play the video, but we'll get it to you next time. It's called Secret Origin. And Secret Origin, I had a dream once. I had a dream many, many years ago. And let me just see if any of you guys have had a similar dream. I had this dream. I remember waking up in the middle of the night, and it was one of those dreams you wake up from, and you're like sweating. You're, your, your heart is pounding. It's beating out of your chest. And it's one of those you wake up, and it's so real that you're worried. Been there? All I know is in this dream, in the distance of a car, I see red and blue flashing lights. It doesn't take a genius to figure out who that is. It's the 5-0, it's the Popo. And they're coming after me. And I'm looking in the rear view, and I'm driving in this classic, like, 1970s big boat of a vehicle. I don't even know what it is. My dad had a brown, we called it the brown bomber, which, by the way, is Joe Lewis, a boxer. If you know boxing, uh, you probably never heard of that because you only know UFC and MMA. But Joe Lewis, look him up sometime. Uh, I'm a boxing fan. So anyway, I'm driving this car, and it's like one of those high-speed chases, and it feels so real, it's like out of a movie. Next thing you know, I'm wearing this wife-beater shirt. First of all, let me just go ahead and tell you, I don't wear wife-beater shirts. And if you do, no judgment here, but I just don't think they look right on some people, and I'm one of them. But I'm wearing one, and I'm wiping the mirror, and I'm looking myself in the mirror, and I have blood all over my body and my hands. I have blood on my hands and blood on my body, and I'm scared that I'm going to get caught. I'm scared 
that I'm going to be found out. And I'm running from the cops. It's one of those dreams that it kind of cuts quickly to like a random scene. And then suddenly, I'm standing over a cliff, and I have a body wrapped in like bandages. And it's got blood all over it, too. And I dump this body over the cliff, and it falls through a bunch of junk. And in my mind, in the dream, I think I'm in the clear. I'm good. Police are getting closer. You hear the sirens. And then suddenly, I wake up. Suddenly, I wake up. And I'm waking up, and it's one of those dreams that I'm like, holy crap. I thought it was real. And it's one of those where you kind of touch yourself, and you're like, you're like just making sure, like, is this like a dream inside of a dream inside of a dream? And you're double-checking, making sure. And I remember that dream so vividly because it was one of three that I got in a season of my life because God was talking to me through that dream. See, in that season of my life, I had a lot of things that I was hiding And one of those things I was hiding was shame. Shame. Tonight we're going to talk about shame. So if you've ever had a dream like that, you may have even experienced something like that. I can tell you right now in the room, when I just mentioned the fear of getting caught, it's scary sometimes. Now you can say, I don't care. It doesn't really matter to me. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Let me just go ahead and tell you, shame is not something we wear. Shame is not our identity. But shame is something that we have to deal with. It's all too real. Shame causes us to hide, to live in fear, to be paralyzed and isolated. Shame wants us to dump that dead body and hide it and hope that nobody can find it. Have you ever tried to dump a, quote, dead body and hope nobody would find out about it? Because I'm going to tell you right now, everybody in the room is carried or might even be carrying this dead body that I'm talking about. Everybody say, okay. See, this reminds me of a story in the Bible. We're going to jump there. Exodus 2, verse 11. We'll get there in a minute. This reminds me of a story in the Bible of a man named Moses. Don't worry, we're going to come back to my dream in a minute. Some of y'all, I know you can relate to that. There's even more to it than what I said. But it reminds me of Moses. Moses, if you don't know the story, I'll give you the abbreviated version as best I can. Moses is a baby, and he's thrown in the Nile River. Well, he was supposed to be thrown in the Nile River because Pharaoh was so jealous of God's people that he was nervous they were going to rise up and overthrow him. So he had three particular methods to try to kill the Israelites. You know, kill the firstborn babies, have midwives kill the firstborn babies as they're born, put the Israelites in slavery, and then number three, throw, uh, throw like baby boys into the Nile so they can drown and die. Well, his mom and dad hid him for three months, but it got to the point where they couldn't hide him anymore because he was loud. Threw him in the Nile. Long story short, Pharaoh's daughter happens to be taking a bath down there. And then, long story short, Moses ends up being taken to Pharaoh. If you don't know who Pharaoh is, it's a ruler of Egypt, to the palace. His daughter brings his mom on staff 
to take care of Moses. So check it out. She throws her baby down the river to die and then gets him back, and then she gets paid for it. Pretty awesome. Only God can do something like that. So that's the backstory. Moses grows up, and Acts 7 says that he's mighty in word and deed, engineering, astronomy, mathematics, math. I know Moses for sure wasn't learning Common Core back in the day. What a waste of time. Any Common Core haters out there? It's okay. There's no teachers here to, you know, just anybody know what I'm talking about? That crazy math that doesn't make any sense and takes 10 steps longer than it's supposed to? He wasn't doing that. But real math. So he was smart. He was intelligent. And then we come to Exodus 2.11. Here we go. It says, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people. He knew that he was an Israelite living in Egypt in Pharaoh's palace, right? Says his own people, the Hebrews. No, it's not coffee. Cheesy joke. Throw it out. Dad joke. He saw how hard they were forced to work. I did that for Daniel. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Now check this out. Brother man is looking around, and then he decides to kill him, and then he buries him in the sand. You know, have you ever been the type of person looking around and then thinking something's okay? Nobody's watching. Some of y'all need to check your DMs. Thing is, he killed him. He killed him. Murdered him and then buried the body. Sound familiar? It's coincidental, I assure you. The next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. But sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened. He tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled and hid from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. So let's break this down. Moses murdered a man, an Egyptian. Moses was afraid because everyone knew what he did. And then he flees and hides because Pharaoh's trying to kill him. Can you relate to that? I think you can. See, Moses committed a wrong, even though that Egyptian taskmaster, when you look in the Greek or you really do some scholarly digging or academic digging, that Egyptian taskmaster was probably going to beat that Hebrew guy to death. But it doesn't change the fact that Moses still murdered him. He checked to make sure no one was around before he ever did it. And then he killed him, and then he buried the body. A lot of times that's us. We think no one's watching. We can do it, and then we're just going to bury the body. We're going to bury the evidence, and nobody's going to know. Everybody has a time like that, right? There's a story I tell about a remote control where as simple as that was at seven, eight years old, I was, I was burying, I was covering up my tracks, and it didn't work then. And it didn't work later. Let me just say, covering my tracks, I was terrible at. You can get away with it for a while. See, he, he murdered him. And the thing is, Moses hit the body, and then something set in. Everybody say shame. Shame set in in that moment. And it says shame, shame paralyzes him, and hide, then, he, then it wants him to hide. Shame will steal your voice. Shame, shame will steal your joy. It will steal your peace. 
Shame is that thing that says that you shouldn't talk because one time you did, then you got made fun of, and then you were embarrassed, and you never wanted to do it again. Shame is that thing that says, I raised my hands in Kayo one Wednesday, and then somebody talked some type of trash or made fun of me, and then I didn't do it again. Shame is that thing that you do, and then it's that it's, you've already committed something wrong. See, shame isn't the wrong thing. Shame always follows the sin. Shame always follows what's wrong. See, when we do something wrong, we have a choice. We can either cover our tracks, cover the dead body, hide the body, dump the body, hide the evidence, or we can come clean and walk in the truth because the truth sets us free. So how is it that we end up in shame? And we stay, the thing is about shame, and once you get there, it can feel like it's hard to get out. It can almost seem impossible. Let's define what shame really is. It almost becomes something like we wear. It's, it, it's, it says, here's what shame is. Shame is a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. I'm going to get over that in a second. I say shame is the humiliation after sin. You have humility, and then you have shame. Or you have humility, and then you have humiliation. They look similar, but they're not the same. Humility, uh, humility means to have a low view of yourself, of your importance, freedom from pride or arrogance. But true humility is strength restrained. You don't have to brag about your basketball skills because you know how good you are. You don't have to brag that you made the team today or yesterday or whatever day it was because you know how great you are. And sometimes facts are facts. Hey, I made the team, but you're not bragging about it. But see, shame is the counterfeit of humility. Have you ever asked yourself, what if my parents find out? Have you ever asked yourself, what if everybody at school knew this? What if this was posted all over social media? Have you ever thought that? If that's ever scared you, you could be carrying shame. But God doesn't want you to carry that at all. See, shame hides us and holds us back. See, shame convinced Moses to bury the body and hide the truth. Shame convinces us that it's there to protect us. Hey, just hide the evidence. Cover the truth. Lie about it. And then nobody's going to know. And then you're going to be safe. That's, that's what shame does. But it's a lie. See, we think shame protects us, but it only holds us back from the freedom and the forgiveness and the love that the truth offers. See, Moses fled to the wilderness in Midian, and he was there for 40 years. Okay, check this out. He kills a guy. He runs for his life. He's scared, shame, and he's in the wilderness for 40 years. That's a long time. And some people, what you're going through, if you're carrying shame, sometimes it can feel like 40 years. If you're in here and you're carrying guilt, it can feel like 40 years. Pastor Darrell, you don't understand. If I tell somebody this, they're not going to be my friend anymore. If I tell the truth, then I'm going to get in trouble and I'm going to lose privileges. Pastor Darrell, if I really came out and said this, people won't see me the same way. You're already not the same person. It's carrying all that anxiety and guilt and shame. It begins to take a toll on you. You start to look different. You start to sound different. You can just, I can tell you right now, I can look at somebody and tell them when they're carrying something they're not supposed to. Am I making sense? 
See, Moses fled. Yeah, he got married. He started a family. But the shame of his past was always present in his mind. It had to be. You can't outrun shame. See, you can hide the body, bury the body, put it in the sand, but you can't outrun it. Your mind, your heart, your friends, somebody will convince you you can outrun it. Don't tell anybody. But you can't outrun it. You can't. So many people I know, they try to outrun their problems. You can't. They try to outrun guilt. You can't. See, Moses' mind played out a scenario on repeat. Pharaoh's going to kill me. I'm a dead man. So he does, he, he runs. And one, you can't blame him. Either way, he's either a walking dead man or a literal dead man. But see, the thing is, Moses is hidden. Shame has hidden him, but God knows exactly where he is. God knows exactly where he is. Exodus 2.25 says this, Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. The king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. It says God heard their groaning. Anybody's stomach ever groan? Don't worry, God hears it. So do I sometimes from up here. And he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. God sees you. God knows you. God, can I just tell you, God is never afraid of anything, ever. So he sees, and then it says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, or excellence, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, sorry, there the angel of the Lord, angel of the Lord, or the Lord, appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. It says, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses Moses. So Moses is in hiding for 40 years. He's 40 years old when he kills that man. He's 80 in Midian. Think about that. All those years gone. All that time lost. God always, I truly believe God redeems the time that sometimes shame can steal from us. We sing that song, Your Nature, and it talks about how That literally the the years that shame has stolen, God's nature restores that which is lost. God is in the reconciling, restoring business. You ever built anything from scratch? Have you ever made a meal from scratch? Anybody ever, we got some cooks in here? You might cook, and I don't mean microwave pizza. You like, you ever make something? One of the first things I ever learned to make was a ketchup and tomato sandwich. Let me just tell you, cut up tomatoes on a slice of bread, squirt some ketchup on that bad boy, salt and pepper the insides of that bread, and you got some gold. You might say, yeah, probably heartburn, but I didn't know what that was then. It's one of the first things I ever made. Now, some of y'all are like, I can pour cereal out of a box into a bowl. I can pour it in, and I can eat it. And that's cooking to you. Hey, you, everybody starts somewhere. But see... You got to think, God is always into the taking things and building them up. God never tears down. 
If God ever allows anything to be torn down, it's just so it can be built up to be better. See, it's like whenever a, a plant or a, ro- a plant or a flower is pruned, it's only pruned and cut so it will grow back in a healthier way. See, God calls Moses out by his name and not his shame. See, God calls him out. God could have called him murderer, murderer. God could have called him liar, liar. Seems everybody was jumping on that. Moses, Moses is what he says. He says, Moses, Moses. See, God saw Moses for who he is, not what he did. In 40 years, Moses was a different guy. Even if the Egyptian he killed was justifiable because that Egyptian taskmaster was beating that Israelite most likely to death. Even you, if you could try to justify it, but you can't. He was a different man. He was now a shepherd tending to a flock. God had hit, he was hit, shame had hidden him, but God had used those hidden years to prepare him to get ready to rescue hundreds of thousands of people 40 years later. See, God is looking, searching the whole earth to and fro for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 2 Corinthians 16. See, I'm sure, I'm very confident Moses was praying to God. I'm sure he regretted murdering that man. I'm sure he prayed to God, God, did you see what they were doing to my people? I couldn't stand there and do nothing. See, God doesn't call him out by his shame, his mistakes, and his sins. He calls him out by his name. And God calls you out by your name, never by your shame. God never looks at us and says, well, you adulterer, fornicator, liar, deceiver, porn addict, you weed-smoking, drug addict, alcohol, binge-drinking. He never says that. He calls you by your real name, by your name. The name that, it's the name, never the shame. God doesn't call you out for anything. He just calls you by name. And he knows that's how he's going to get Moses' attention. Because the cool thing about the burning bush is when Moses saw it, it comes from a word that literally means to perceive something that was always there. That bush was burning. It was always there. He saw it. God spoke to him. Sometimes God has to speak through a burning bush to get your attention because he can't get your attention any other way. That's a word for somebody. Somebody in here, you're expecting God to work a certain way. Well, I'm not getting it in the word. I'm not getting it at Kyle. I'm not getting it on Sunday. I'm not getting it in my church. I'm not getting it in prayer. I'm not getting it any other way. Sometimes he will have to speak through the burning bush to get your attention. And he will. And he can. And when he does, he's going to say, Carter, Carter. He's going to say, Dylan, Dylan. He's going to say, Riley, Riley. He's going to say, Galeno, Galeno. Ricardo, Ricardo. Sadie, Sadie. See, Moses was marked from, Moses was marked for death from the day he was born. Moses was marked for death. You know what Moses means? It means to be pulled out of. He was pulled out of the water to one day be the deliverer and the savior of his people. See, Jesus didn't happen. Just Jesus, even though Jesus existed before all time, he hadn't been born of the Virgin Mary yet. That's going to be way down the line. Jesus was marked for death when he was born too. The devil's got a hit out on you the moment you're born, folks. 
The devil knows that if you can get a hold of your identity in Christ, if you can get a hold of who you really are, if you'll be bold enough and stand for God and the right things, you'd be amazed. Pastor Darrell, I'm afraid of what people think. You're in that process, and it's going to come. Give it time. It might take 40 years in the wilderness. It took Moses 40 years. But both Jesus and Moses were called to save people. Can I get you in on a secret as I'm getting ready to close here in about five minutes? Can I let you in on a secret real quick? My first name is Jonathan. My first name is Jonathan. And I'm going to tell you right now. The reason why I share that with you, I'm going to tell you right now, I really felt like I was supposed to share that with you. That's not even the half of what I could tell you. But Jonathan means gift of God. I used to hate that name until I knew what it meant. I used to hate that name. Like, Daryl means darling or beloved. My last name means harmony, peace. Alan, bro. He plays, he's tired, two practices. He had a game last night. I got, I got, I got grace for Khalil, for Mr. Trey Man over there. So why do I share that with you? I don't know. I just feel like I was supposed to. But it means gift of God. And I feel like when God speaks our name, when somebody calls us by name, I think that's what God is declaring over us. See, when Moses was named Moses, I think it was a prophetic declaration of who he would one day be. He was not only the man pulled out of the water, but he, God pulled him up out of shame, pulled him up out of hiding, and then Moses became the guy to pull people up out of slavery and into freedom and into relationship with God. Your name is a prophetic declaration. It's not even a point I even made tonight, but I really believe God put on my heart that your name matters. Your name speaks. It's a blessed name. I had somebody give me a name recently, uh, and the word was blessed, and it was attached to a scripture in Psalm 18. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. If you knew the whole last year of my life, I didn't know. I needed God to be my strength, and I needed him to make my way perfect. And it took about a year to get there. I can tell you stories of shame in the coming weeks. We all have got them. See, the thing is, Jesus carried our shame on the cross so we don't have to anymore. Shame convinced Moses that he wasn't good enough. He wasn't worthy enough. God calls him Moses, Moses. Hey, bro, Pastor Darrell's paraphrase. He says, hey, Moses, I want you to, I've heard the prayers of my people, and I want you to set them free. And then Moses begins to argue with them about how unworthy he is and how not good enough he is. God, in, in our case, if somebody tells me how discouraged they are, one thing I always feel like doing is encouraging them. I don't want to lie to you and just tell you a bunch of fluffy, nice nothings. I don't, if you're like you say, Pastor Darrell, I really stink at basketball. I'm not going to lie to you, but I'm not going to say you stink at basketball. I'm going to say, bro, you need to practice. Pastor Darrell, I'm having a hard time. Pastor Darrell, I don't listen well. You don't. But you know what? I believe that you can get better. Focus. Encouragement puts courage into people, not lies. Some of you guys are into flattery and lying to one another. Stop lying to one another and tell each other the truth. How are you going to get better? How are you going to 
can I just talk to my front row right here? Let me talk to my front row. How are these guys going to know what Christ looks like if you're not living it? How are they going to know? It's got to start with you. Let me come over here to my other front row. Same thing. How are they going to know? How is this city going to know until it starts with you? You are not to carry shame anymore. Jesus Christ bore it on the cross, so you don't have to. Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who made Christ who do no sin uh, to be sin on our behalf so that in Him we would become the righteousness of God, that we would be made acceptable to Him and placed in a right relationship with Him. Jesus Christ took our shame, our shame, which our shame is stuff that we carry that God is telling us, God was telling Moses, you're not supposed to carry that. You need to give it to me because God doesn't see that. When you put sin and you put shame in the blood of Jesus Christ, it's never remembered again. It's forgotten. Some of you guys have already asked God to forgive you, and you're still beating yourself up emotionally because of things you're still doing, because you're still struggling. He doesn't see your struggle at all. Jesus literally says, let me carry that. Let me take all that shame. Let me take all that sin. Let me take all that anxiety and let me carry it for you. He's already paid for it. He's already paid for it. Why continue to pay for something that somebody else has already paid for? If you take me out to eat and you pay for my meal, I'm not paying for it again. Jesus has already paid for our shame and paid for our sins. We don't have to pay anymore. He's already done it for us. There are many of you in the room right now that you're carrying shame or you're carrying something. He's saying, I've already carried this. Just give it back to me. Give it back to me. See, Pastor Darrell, so what? Hang on. I'm going to share this too because I feel like I'm supposed to. I'm a big Spider-Man fan. I'm going to share this. Peter Parker gets bitten by a radioactive spider. It could happen. We'd die, but it could happen. We'd probably die. It's the beauty of comic books, movies. He gets bitten by a radioactive spider. He gets the strength of a spider. He can cling to walls. He can do all kinds of cool stuff. He invents his own webbing. God's intelligent, but he gets arrogant. He gets prideful. He gets kind of, he kind of becomes a butthole jerk face. And then he kind of gets famous, and all that bullying he got, all of his life up to that point, all that bullying started to come out. He got real prideful and arrogant. One night, a security guard is chasing a criminal, and he says, hey, buddy, can you stop him? Can you trip that guy up for me? He's like, no. I'm tired of everybody taking advantage of me. I'm only looking out for number one, me. And he lets the guy pass. He goes about his business, making money, becoming famous, and then one night he goes home, and he finds out that Uncle Ben is dead. His uncle, who's like a father to him, is dead. He chases the guy down to a warehouse, and he finds him, takes the mask off, and it's that guy they could have stopped weeks before. Spider-Man began to carry all that shame because in many ways he was responsible for his uncle's death. And it's that whole adage, with great power comes great responsibility. See, Moses has all kinds of responsibility coming his way. God's getting ready to set Moses on a mission. God, he's getting ready to give Moses purpose. To all that shame he carried, he's going to say, hey, I'm going to take that, and I'm, we're going to make this right. 
Spider-Man wears a mask, carries that whole thing, the rest of Spider-Man's story. See, the thing is, your shame becomes the secret origin of your story that brings God glory. And I didn't mean to make that rhyme. But your, it says your shame becomes the secret origin of your story to bring God glory. That thing that you're hiding, that thing that you're carrying, could be the very thing that's the secret origin, the secret beginning that maybe nobody knows about, but God does because he knew everything Moses did. He knows everything that we've done. But he says, hey, can I take that shame? Can I take that sin? Can I take those mistakes? God doesn't just take good things. He takes broken things and he makes them beautiful. But we have to accept the truth, embrace the truth, and then give it back to him. It's not for us to carry because Jesus already paid for it. And because Jesus already paid for it, we need to take that bill and hand it back. Does that make sense? We need to give it back. And I'm not going to make you come up here and get in the microphone and tell me everything that you've done wrong. But we are going to give you an opportunity tonight to set yourself free in just a moment. Pastor Darrell, what did we learn tonight? We learned that shame hides us and holds us back. We learned that God calls us by our name, not our shame. And we learned that Jesus died on the cross to carry our shame so we don't have to. And that literally that shame is our secret origin of our story that literally points to God and reveals how good he is. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Last uh, leaders, come on up. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little different tonight. We're still going to have squads. I don't care what time it is. I don't care if parents are banging down the door. I'll take it up with them. I say that respectfully. I'm just not worried about time. So, we get the leaders up here. We've got the cross. What I want you to do, I want you to take just a moment, and I want you to just think and dwell. Just take a moment, close your eyes, bow your heads. And the leaders are up here. I want you to do something. I want to encourage you. I want you to come up here, and I want you to come to a leader that you, like, say, Pastor Daryl, this speaks to me. Pastor Daryl, I don't want to carry any of this stuff anymore. I don't want to be hiding for 40 years. I don't think it's going to be. See, Jesus knows what it's like to carry shame. I mean, literally, he was beaten and bloodied, mocked, ridiculed, spat on, punched in the face repeatedly. He, whether the movie showed or not, most likely he was naked on the cross. And the scripture says that the cross was a symbol of shame in Roman times. But Jesus Christ, as he always does, he always flips the script and he redeems things. Where the cross was once a symbol of shame, and just like tonight, the cross is a symbol of hope and freedom. Let Jesus carry that for you tonight. So as they're playing, and I don't want you to be disruptive and don't talk to anybody, but if you want to come up here and you would like, hey, Pastor Earl, come up to a leader. You probably have a squad leader. I'm inviting Ben up here as well. We just want to pray for you. And then I want you to take a note card and a pen and a thumbtack. 
And I want you to take a moment and write down anything you need to write down and let go of and get rid of out of your heart, your mind, anything. And I want you to nail it to that cross. You don't put your name on it because it doesn't matter. God already knows. Okay? So let me pray just briefly. Father, I pray as they examine their hearts. Lord, I pray that you've come to set them free tonight. You've come to take shame back that they're not supposed to carry. You've come to take all these things. Ah, may they have the strength just to give it to you. They trust in you. And they come to a leader who loves them, prays for them, set them free. In Jesus' name. Whenever you're ready, just come on up. Amen.